Well, how wise are you? Good morning, everyone. Pastor Tim here at Faith Community on this uh, cold morning. And I just have to ask you, how smart do you really think you are? Are you smarter than a fifth grader? You know, somebody said that a person's wisdom is measured not by the questions they answer, but by the questions they ask. And I'm sure in, through this pandemic, you have been tossing back and forth in your mind lots of questions. Because the longer you live in this world, the more you find it's questions that keep popping to your mind. So much more that you realize you don't know. And life is full of questions. All kinds of questions that are thought-provoking and cause us a lot of angst. You know, the Bible is full of questions. If you've counted some 3,300 questions, everything from in the beginning when Adam and Eve went awry and transgressed the law of God, and God said, where are you? To those words of Job in the middle of all that suffering and pain, and he says, if a man dies, shall he live again? Even to the prophet Isaiah, that song that we find ourselves singing, whom shall go for us? Whom shall I send? Even to that moment where Jesus there is standing before Pilate and he says, well, what should I do with him then? All kinds of questions. But I want to ask today, what's the ultimate question in life? Now, you can certainly do a Google search and you can get to the Hitchhiker's Guide and, and the number 42. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. You can, you know dial up all of those philosophical questions and all those algebraic questions and calculus questions and quantum mechanics and the rovers on Mars now, are they going to find life and the black hole? And there's all kinds of questions. But if you continue to ponder and you peel the onion, you get down to some basic questions. And you begin to ask things like, you know, what's my purpose? Why am I here how did this world come into creation, and is there a God? And you come down to the fundamental question in life, and it's, do I know God? And so we're in a new season right now, a new sermon series that we're calling Known, where we want to challenge you with that question, do you know Jesus? That's what we're really about here at Faith Community, to know God. We want everyone to have a relationship with the living God. And I wonder today if you can answer that question for yourself personally. Do you know Jesus? And by that I don't mean do you have an awareness of God, but do you know God? Do you really have that living, breathing, current relationship with the Lord? You know, I had a season like that in my life where I really pondered deeply. And it was a time where I was really staying up, really thinking, do I have this assurance, this peace that others talk about? And it wasn't the kind of worries that we have from day to day. You know, like the guy one time who was talking to his friend and said, I'm awfully troubled. And he said, why are you troubled? And he said, well, my wife's expecting. And he said, well, why are you troubled about that? I mean, you should be excited about that. And he said, well, the first time my wife was expecting, I was reading the tale of two cities, and we had twins. And the next time we were expecting, I was reading The Three Musketeers, and we had triplets. And they said, well, what are you reading now? And he said, A Birth of a Nation. 
I'm not talking about that kind of angst. But I'm talking about something even deeper than that. Something that really causes a person to just be overwhelmed. And it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit that comes upon a person as you are pondering these questions and in fact this ultimate question deeply in your life. You know, I want to tell you about a guy who did some soul searching one night and the Bible gives us the story here of a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus, I like to call him Nick at night because the story here in John 3 is that he, he comes out at night and approaches Jesus. And I don't think he came to Jesus here uh, in the dark simply because he wanted to avoid the crowds or maybe because he didn't want anybody to see him. But no, I believe he came to Jesus by night because there was something truly weighing upon his heart that was keeping him up at night. He had heard Jesus' instructions and his parables and all of his teaching. He had watched some miraculous things and, and there was something there that was troubling him deeply and this guy had no peace. He was lacking some assurance and knowledge of God in his heart. And he was aware of Christ, but he did not know Christ. And despite the fact that he was a member of the church, and he was an upstanding citizen in the community, something was missing in this guy's life. And so he reaches out that night. He finds that moment where he just can't help himself, but I've got to go to Jesus one-on-one -on -one and, and talk to him some more about this. Something was missing in his life. And not only that, but notice here, in the greater context that Nicodemus was a superior kind of guy. The Bible says he was a Pharisee. And in, in many ways, the Pharisees were the elite people of the land. There was never any more than 6,000 of these guys running around. And they were what was known as a brotherhood, almost a fraternity, if you will. And they entered into this brotherhood by taking a pledge in front of three witnesses that they would spend the rest of their life observing the law. Every jot and tittle of this law. And that it meant that the law was complete and contained everything for living a good life. And it meant in the law that every T was crossed, every I was dotted to get to heaven. It also meant that they went to church every time that the doors were open. It meant that they presided over the religious assemblies down at the synagogue and were there at the temple. He was a ruler of Jews, which meant that he was recognized as a leader among the people and a leader in the community. He was morally upright. He tied. He, he read from the scroll, he worked in the food pantries of the day, whatever you will. He did everything he was supposed to do, but there was something not right in his life. As he pondered that question, he followed the law, and yet Jesus said to this very superior guy, Nicodemus, except you be born again, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, above all, desired to know God. And he left that night evidently a changed person as he was confronted with that question. And he came to the Lord. And you know, when we come to God, it changes everything about us. When you have the new birth experience, suddenly everything is different in your life. Your attitude changes. Your motivations are different. Even your reactions are different. It's kind of like the guy I heard the story that he got, he got this new... Go new car, this pastor, 
got this new car, and, and uh, this gentleman said, boy, that's a, that's a wonderful car. What a beautiful car. Glad you were able to get that. And he said, well, you know, I was glad too, but I couldn't afford this car. My brother bought it for me. And expecting the typical kind of response that I wish I had a brother like that. No, this guy said, I wish I could be a brother like that. That's the kind of transformation that occurs in a person's life. And even the reactions are different. Their motivations have become altered. And once you meet Christ, you'll never be the same again. I want to make some observations about this text here in John chapter 3. This transformational experience, this new birth that the Bible says that you and I must have. And that's the very first point that I want to raise as I read this text once again. It's the fact that you must be born again. And notice what it says here in verse 7. Jesus said you must be born again. You know, there are lots of things that you can know about, but there are some things that you must know. And you come face to face with the command here in this text that you simply can't dismiss. In the first place, these are the words of Christ. This is not a bishop or a pastor. This is not, you know, some religious professor, but this is Jesus himself. And you notice here, as you're reading the context, Jesus is using the strongest possible language. Notice he didn't say it would be a good thing if if you would do this, it, it, he's not offering, here's one recommendation I would give to you, or here's a suggestion you might want to take under advisement. But he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again if you want to gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Notice the word must, the word unless, the word cannot. These are compelling words. And Jesus prefaced all of that by saying, truly, truly, I say unto you. That's the equivalent of saying, hey, wake up. I want you to know something that is absolutely true and fundamental, something critical. Could there be any doubt in the significance that he placed upon this subject? Jesus here no doubt shocked Nicodemus with this news. He probably saw he was like a, a deer in the headlights there because he said, marvel not, Nicodemus, what I say to you. He learned what we must, that not mere association not mere serving on a committee or helping out in vacation Bible school or serving in the food pantry is enough to gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven, but that you must be born again. Secondly, Jesus spoke these words directly, if you notice here, to Nicodemus. It was directly in him. Each of us need that, that moment where we have a new birth. You know, one of the great stories out of our Wesleyan heritage is the conversion of John Wesley. Of course, you know, John Wesley grew up in a, in a godly home, Susanna and Samuel. And, and you remember early on there was a fire and everybody got out, but John was on the second floor and they had to form this human ladder to get John out. They thought he was dead, going to die for sure in that fire. But all the neighbors got together and the family got together and they made this human ladder and they were able to get John out of the, the second floor of that house. And Suzanne said, he was a brand plucked from the burning. God's got something in store for you. And of course, John went on to be part of the church. He grew up in the church. He was a teacher. He was a preacher of the faith. He was an ordained Anglican pastor. He gave generously to the church. He was a writer. He observed frequently Holy Communion. He visited the sick. He was a missionary. He was a small group leader. He was an administrator in the church. And yet there was something about his life that he noticed he didn't have peace. 
He didn't have the knowledge of God in his heart and life. He devoted himself to attain God's blessing through devotion, but there was something missing. And he realized he didn't have that knowledge of God in his life. And he came to America, we know, in the early 1730s. He came here to minister to the Native Americans. And on the way back, there was a tremendous storm that arose. And he was on board this vessel. And you have to believe me, these vessels back in the 1700s weren't like the fancy cruise ships that we have today with all the stabilizers. I can't imagine being out on the high seas today. They didn't have the navigation equipment back then to go around the storms, but they went right through it. And this evidently, as described in the journals, was a ferocious storm. And everybody was troubled. The sailors were troubled. The captain was alarmed. Many of the passengers were panic-stricken. This was surely it. We're going down. But suddenly, John Wesley observed there was this band of Moravians, this group of devout Germans that were on board, they made this circle and joined hands and they began to pray. And they were as calm as cucumbers. They were just absolutely confident and stalwart in spirit. And they had this assurance. And he thought, I can't imagine this. We are about to die. And what is going on with you? You have such calmness that all is well with your soul. This sent John Wesley on this journey of soul searching. And in fact, it lasted for some time. And when finally John Wesley finds himself going down Aldersgate Street there in London, and it was on May the 24th of 1738, about 8.45 in the evening. And he went unwillingly, but there he describes in the journal of having a moment with the Lord, Someone was reading there, the small group leader or someone was reading the preface to Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. I've got the copy of that right here. Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. And somebody at that moment was reading there in the preface. And whatever it was, whatever sentence it was on or whatever happened, John Wesley testified on that night. God's spirit finally bore witness with his spirit that he was a child of God. He had this incredible assurance, this incredible moment with the Holy Spirit got a hold of John Wesley's life. And he wrote for the first time in his life, his heart was strangely warmed and he really knew Christ. And I placed my trust in him. Friends, that is the experience, that's the must of the new birth. And Jesus said this to Nicodemus. Now Nicodemus again wasn't just a person off the street. He was a member of one of the finest and strictest religious groups of the day. Uh, the Pharisees prided themselves in the observance of the law. They fasted routinely. They prayed often. They tithed the income. They followed all the tradition of the elders. They even built the tombs for the prophets for heaven's sake. And to boot he was a Sanhedrin member. And that was one of the 70 elder, elders who governed social life in the day. He was educated, and many scholars feel that he was probably well off financially. He was respected in the community, and yet such a person of high religious rank and such religiosity, Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You know, I'm told the, the preachers, the rural preachers in India delight in telling the story of the rich merchant who was 
being rowed across the river by a village boatman. And as they're making their way across the river, the merchant begins to talk to the boatman and said, you know, I've got a lot of education. I've went to this place and studied, and I've got this degree, and I've obtained this, and this is one of my favorite classes. How about you? What education have you done? And the guy that's rowing the boat, he said, oh, I don't even know how to read and write. I don't have any education. And the merchant said, I can't believe that. A quarter of your life is missing if you don't have any education at all. And, and they continue across the river, and, and, and the merchant continues his conversation. He says, you know, I have been all over the world, too. I've been very blessed. I've been to this place and this ancient wonder of the world, and I've been to this country. And he said, how about you? And the boatman said, well, frankly, I've not stepped foot out of this country. I've not been anywhere. And he said, oh, a half of your life is over if you haven't done any touring, any traveling at all. And again, they continue across the river. And this time, the, 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 the merchant begins to talk about all of his wealth and talk about the companies that he owns and the fields that belong to him and his fancy portfolio and all of his investments. And he says to the boatman, do you have any investments? And the guy said, no, I don't even have a bank account. I just live hand to mouth. And he said, three quarters of your life is over. You don't have any education. You haven't been anywhere. And, and just then, in mid-sentence, there's this huge gust of wind out of nowhere, and this storm comes up, and it capsizes the vessel, and both of these gentlemen are plunged over into the water. And here, this boatman starts to swim, and the merchant begins to yell, Help, help, I'm drowning. And the boatman looks at him and said, What? With all of your money, with all of your education, with all of your travel, with everything you own, and you've never learned to swim? I mean, the one thing the merchant needed at that moment was the ability to swim, which he did not have. Everything else was of no avail. And likewise, the basic one spiritual requirement for people is the new birth. You can do all these things, you can have all these things, but have you been born again? Jesus said you must be born again. A second thing that I want to say to you is if you notice in this text, not only the must of this, but notice the mystery. Jesus said, this is mysterious, just as the wind blows, so is the Holy Spirit. Now, no one can save himself any more than you can blow out the sun. And I don't know, if you've ever been down to Daytona Beach, Florida, you know the Halifax River, it blows in this, uh, this kind of southeasterly direction. But then when the tide starts coming in, all of a sudden it's reversed and it starts going in this northeasterly uh, or northwesterly uh, direction. And so also, we'll be going out one day and you meet Jesus Christ and you have a new birth experience and all of a sudden... It's changed your life and you have repented in godly sorrow and you begin marching in a different direction. Jesus here could obviously see the puzzled look on Nicodemus' face and he went on to say, Do not marvel at me, Nicodemus, what I say to you. And he goes on here in verse 10, he said, Nicodemus, you mean you are part of the church and you don't know these things? You don't know God? And he indicates here to Nicodemus that a new birth is certainly peculiar, all right, but you don't need to stumble over it, Nicodemus. It's not necessary to understand all the parts of the new birth before a person can experience the results of it. It's just kind of like the wind, Nicodemus. 
Jesus says we don't know all about the wind, where it comes from and where it goes, but we feel the cool breeze on our face. We see the leaves all scattered in our yard. We hear the rustling of the leaves and the limbs, and, and we see the movement, but we don't understand it all. There are many mysteries in life. It's kind of like electricity. You don't perhaps know everything there is to know about how the electricity is, is all getting to your house, but you really don't care. You just want to be able to go to the wall, hit the light switch, and have power. Or the thermostat and have heat. Same way with the food. The food is a mystery. Oh, you may understand some of physiology and ecology and how that all works and all of that cycle, but you may not fully understand how the meat and the vegetables and the fruit turn into fuel. All that you know is it gives you life. It provides energy for you, and you may not fully understand how a brown cow eats green grass and gives you white milk, but it doesn't stop you from drinking it. Or these vaccines that we are now provided, you may not understand how it works per se, but you just want one so that you can be protected. There are those out there, you see, who hesitate to accept the truth that Jesus is speaking about here because they don't understand the new birth. They find it difficult to comprehend or explain. But Jesus is saying here, Nicodemus, you don't have to fully understand everything about this. The new birth is miraculous as the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your life. You know, folks, there are three great miracles in life, and one is the creation of this world. A second is the deity of Christ, how God in some miraculous way came into this world in the form of a human and died for our sins, a miracle indeed. And I say the third to you is this new birth experience. But the third thing I want to say to you that really strikes me here is the means of the new birth. Now, what's the difference between a saint and a sinner? And I want to say to you, the simple difference is one has experienced forgiveness and the other hasn't. You know, when I was a kid and would go to the dentist, uh, you know, I would clean my teeth. Uh, I would almost be my personal, even my mom would be my hygienist, right? And you wanted to be spotless under examination. And I remember this one time, I mean, my gums were bleeding. I've done a really great job, the baking soda, whatever, to get ready to go to the dentist. And I got there, and they gave me some red little liquid that you swished around in your mouth, and it showed you where the plaque was. You thought you'd gotten everything out of there. And, you know, in the same way, you may try to clean yourself, do all the right things. But you know what? Just like the dentist equipment can only reveal the plaque where it is, the Holy Spirit, is the only one that can really come and reveal where you stand with God. God's Holy Spirit has a way of exposing our needs. So I want to ask you again, how wise are you? I want to really ask you today, do you know Jesus? Have you done soul searching and experienced the new birth? I want you to see someone else in our church family Ron Sandin, who has experienced a time of soul searching and come to know faith in Christ. Watch this video. Hi, I'm Ron Sandin. I've been coming to faith community for a few years. Uh, you might know my wife, Lisa. Uh, 
and I want to take this opportunity to share my faith story with you. So back in uh, when I was a police officer in Cincinnati, uh, there were some incidents that occurred that uh, caused me to uh, take an early retirement. Uh, a lot of places in, uh, in my heart that were empty and uh, just really looking for uh, something more uh, in life and in regular life and spiritually even. Jesus had engaged Simon's heart by asking him, do you love me? And I was not expecting to have the emotion uh, kind of well up inside of me because that was something that was really, I guess, uh, followed me around my whole life being uh, grown up in a single mother home. Uh, just having a father that would love you just seems so foreign. What's really happening is in my heart at the moment. Uh, he's, he's really talking to me right now. Like, I, I could feel the, the heaviness in the room. I could just, it just, it felt like I was the only one there. So after that, actually having a moment of clarity where God says, why won't you let me love you? And my answer was, because I don't know what you want from me. His response was, well, I just, I just want to love you. So I, I prayed, yeah, I'm a sinner. And, and, and Jesus did give his life on the cross for me. And he was God in the human flesh. So. And, and yeah, I want, I want that, I want that in my heart. There's a, a real moment in, in, in the whole transaction that you can truly feel that what has been missing your whole life is now there. Because of uh, my experience in law enforcement, being diagnosed with post-traumatic stress, under the doctor's care for and medicated for quite a few years because uh, I'd been struggling with nightmares and uh, even like daytime nightmares after praying to receive Christ and, and knowing that he actually like took residency in my heart um, I went home and I, I don't know what I was expecting to wake up to the next day uh, but I woke up the next morning and that was probably the first time in eight to ten years that I hadn't had a nightmare. So I remember saying, <clears throat> Lord, if, if all you do is give me this one night of great sleep to show me that you are real and that you're going to take care of your boy, then <clears throat> I'll take it. Um, it was probably two or three years before I had any other nightmare at all. And uh, now I have the tools uh, to know how to fight those things. And, and I have already won the battle because Christ has already died for me. Wow.
I truly hope today that you know Jesus and that you'll join this ride with us here in this Lenten season to really know Jesus as your personal Savior. I want to pray for you today, and I also want to remind you that we have people standing by. If you'll just reach out and text us here at the church, we have people here standing by ready to pray with you. And I want to just invite you to be part of this series and get on board with one of the small groups. Grab one of the devotional booklets. I'm going to be offering a Wednesday evening Bible study on the book of John. And uh, we just invite you to get involved in this journey here through Lent and really to get involved with Jesus, the main thing in life. So I want to invite you to pause for a moment of prayer, particularly if you don't know Jesus or you're struggling, you're having that night like Nicodemus of soul searching. We just join me in a moment of prayer. Almighty God, we come before you today lifting up one another in these challenging days. We know there are many people going through such hardship. We know there's turmoil, there's challenge. Some people are out of work. Others are ill. So many, Lord, are perplexed with family decisions and relationship issues. But Lord, we know in this world, there are so many questions. There are so many things to preoccupy our mind. Lord, may your spirit today be with the hearts of those that are troubled, that are seeking you, that, Lord, are responding today to your spirit's call upon their life. We know that call goes out to everyone, but I know today there are some that are joining us and the Holy Spirit's working in their life. Lord, I'm lifting them up before you today as they come before you, that your spirit, Lord, would work in their life, that they would surrender their life to you and come into that knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, as they pray today, I pray, Lord, for forgiveness to be theirs, for that assurance to be upon their heart, and for that peace and rest to be known. Bless them, we pray this day, in Jesus' name, amen.